Well, welcome to the first official Bible study episode of the Gen 1 to Revelation 22 project. I don't know if I'm supposed to do a drum roll or what. Uh, but for those of you who have been longtime uh, listeners to the program, you will know that we have had some different ways we've had the program being distributed. So I'm just going to share a little bit of that for a couple minutes here as we get started today. And we will be in Numbers chapter 4 for those of you who are in a place where you can get your Bible out. Um, so for those of you who have been part of this for a longer period of time, you know that we kind of started off in YouTube and we used YouTube live for a while and ran into just some issues with that. Whatever happened, I think they changed their policies or something, or we were doing too many live streams. I don't remember exactly what it was, but we encountered some difficulties doing that. And so switched over to, uh, using Facebook live and did that for quite a while. I think a year, maybe even a year and a half of our content was on there. Um, the Gen 1 to Revelation 22 project is simply the idea of studying the Bible together uh, verse by verse. And so we start in Genesis chapter 1 verse 1. We're now going to be picking up in Numbers chapter 4. Numbers 4 is going to be the first official episode on the audio content. Um, the other stuff can be found. A lot of it still should be on Facebook. And then a lot of what was on Facebook Live was duplicated over to the YouTube channel. And so if you'd like to go back and find that content, uh, the easiest way will be going to YouTube. And you can find uh, the Gospel Dominion and Expository Apologetics YouTube channel. That's a bit of a mouthful. Um, the shorter way to find it is the original uh, tagline, which is um, youtube.com forward slash FMM, as in focusing on the Mark Ministries, FMM Ryan Marks 7. Uh, so the YouTube channel uh, encompasses other stuff. There's like a playlist of, of like an online Bible Institute. I keep adding interesting things on there I find that would be beneficial for those trying to study the Bible and, and kind of get a little little bit more formal, I guess you'd say, study. Um, so that, that continues to be compiled. It's not all by me. It's just a playlist that, that's compiled. Um, there's messages on there. There's the Gen 1 Revelation 22 project, and a lot of that is divided down by... Yes, the big, large playlist of Gen 1 to Rev 22, uh, but also like Genesis, they're, they're broken down uh, by books, at least some of them at this point. And there's other devotionals and other type of videos on there as well. Anyway, lots of content. You can find it that way if you'd like to go back. Today, we're going to dive in to Numbers chapter 4. So if you'd open up your Bible, if, if again, if you're in a place where you can, some of you in the past used to somehow tell me you were able to pipe the YouTube channel through your speakers somehow on your phone during your commute. So hopefully now the podcast will make that, that easier for you. You can just subscribe and, and, and click play. So in Numbers chapter 4, I will be in the New King James Version today. I'll be reading out of that. Um, and I'm going to walk through this passage and to just reset the stage, perhaps if you're joining us for the first time uh, or for those who have not joined us in a while because we've kind of taken a little bit of a break between going through the first three chapters and now picking back up in chapter four. And so we just use a real simple method. By no means is this original to me. I'm not really sure who created it, but it's called the SOAP method, like a bar of SOAP, S-O-A-P. And so what that stands for is Scripture, Observation, Application, Prayer. And uh, I, I kind of have a particular way that we've been doing that. Uh, we, we read the text of Scripture, and as we're reading, we observe. We observe what it's saying. And I also, at times, will draw observations from what I call the theological and doctrinal 
um, reflections of other where other places in the Bible. So we're actually going to do that some here today as we reflect upon the first few verses. We're going to reflect upon how this connects doctrinally to the New Testament uh, in a very broad sense, as well as some theological connections, how it, it plays into our view of Jesus. Um, potentially even. So we're going to look at that as we observe the context, observe what Scripture's saying, and also bear in mind observations from other places in the Bible. Uh, that That's more what helps us to interpret the Bible aright um, and rightly divide the word of truth. And then A is application. And that may be explicit. Sometimes a, a certain part of the Bible explicitly tells us what to do, like in the New Testament when it tells us to forgive as Christ has forgiven us. That's explicit. There's, there's no wondering what this means to apply this verse to our lives. So, um, we will look for application. But many times we're going to apply um, to specific ways to ourselves. So, sometimes in mainstream um, Christian culture, or if I would put it this way, popular preaching, sometimes uh, the application side gets mistaken for interpretation. So on the observation side, we want to observe what God is saying, and that's what's going to undergird us interpreting the text. What is God telling us? We want to know what he's saying to us in the Bible. That's interpretation. Application, however, is us allowing the Holy Spirit to convict us of things we may see in this text. And there's some ways today that this text has convicted me. The first recording didn't work out, and um, there are some particular ways that the text convicted me. And that led into the final point, which is pray. And and I don't want us to just approach this as pray, like, well, just, just wrap up our time with kind of a general prayer. It's what we do. I want to really encourage you to pray the text. Pray your conviction of how the Holy Spirit's working in your life. There's times the Holy Spirit convicts me about my worldview. Maybe I need to alter my worldview on something because I've not been thinking biblically about a particular matter. And so the application for me may not be something I need to go out and do, like talk to somebody or get something out of my life. Um, it, it may be that I need to change my mindset. That's a way that I may need to apply Scripture. But to take the time to pray and pray the text. Pray what you've been convicted about. Pray the application of this passage to your life. Pray for the Lord to help you to live faithfully to this. Maybe it's something that, you know, maybe this is something that, that really isn't a huge matter of conviction for you on some days, but nonetheless, it's something you can pray the Lord help you continue to be faithful in, continue to show you if there is anything um, that maybe you're, you're not seeing, um, an area of, of sin or something in your life that you need to be convicted of, but also uh, pray that the Lord would help you to simply be faithful to share it. So those are just a couple of, of kind of, I guess you say, pr uh, guidelines for prayer. Let's dive in today as we walk through this passage. So um, Numbers chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, Take a census of the sons of Kohath from among the children of Levi by their families, by their father's house from thirty years old and above even to 50 years old, all who enter the service to do the work in the tabernacle of meeting. Now I want to stop right there. Interesting thing here. They're going to be taking a census. And for those of you who watched the video or listened to the video earlier on when I kind of did an intro to numbers, I call numbers the, um, the counting and accounting of the people of God. 
because what we see here is we're going to see like several census type things. We see several job descriptions and, and assigned duties. And so we're seeing this, you know, counting of people, giving them their job descriptions. And it's, it's almost, if you want to call it, the accounting type things. You're, you're keeping records. It's very detail-oriented. It, it's literally the numbering of things. But it's not just numbering on a practical sense of what needs to be done and knowing who's in charge of what. It also is numbering in the sense of spiritually weighing and sifting the people. They're going to be in the wilderness. There's going to be some narrative that we're going to find in the book of Numbers as they're, they're on this journey. But it really also is going to show us the spiritual accounting of the people of God. The spiritual weighing uh, of their, their spiritual vitality and their spiritual life and also of, of their sin. And so it is, in a sense, this, this sifting and this numbering and this accounting on a spiritual level as well. And the interesting thing is we're moving in in chapter 4 to where a literal census, accounting of the Levitical men, the men who are of the tribe of Levi, that are going to be taken. But it's very interesting. It's only going to be Levites who are between ages 30 and 50. That's the time in which they're going to serve in the tabernacle. So it's interesting. They have, if you will, a 20-year career. They have 30 years of preparation, if you will, and 30 years of life before this. And they have, you know, however long after 50 until the Lord calls them home. So it's very interesting. Uh, there's only 20 years of service here, which I don't know if that was like the prime time of life or, or, or what exactly, but nonetheless, it was God's instruction to them. Now, kind of a theological and doctrinal look on this is something very interesting. And I, I'd encourage you to sift this out, search this out for yourself um, to dig into it. I'm not going to go walk you through the gospel accounts on this. I want to encourage you to dig into scripture yourself. But the Bible tells us that Jesus was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. I find that really interesting. Now, the Bible doesn't explicitly say he was 30. It says he was about 30. So I don't think we can be dogmatic about, you know, he was 30 to 33. Maybe he may have been 30 to 34. He may have been 20 to 32. We, we don't know really his exact age, but that's not the point of the gospel accounts. That's not... It's not to be legalistic about his age. But the interesting thing is, he's beginning his ministry around 30. When are the Levitical priests beginning their ministry? And, and, and not just the, the, the Levites here, excuse me, not just the priests, but the Levites, who are going to serve, if you will, alongside in an associate capacity to the priests that were doing the, the intercession and atonement type work with the sacrifices and the, the incense and, and such. Very interesting to me. Uh, that there is that type of connection. So let's pick up in verse 4 and continue on. This is the service of the sons of Kohath in the tabernacle of meeting relating to the most holy things when the camp prepares to journey. Aaron and his sons shall come and they shall take down the covering veil and the cover the ark of the testimony with it. Then they shall put on it a covering of badger skins and spread it over that cloth entirely of blue, and they shall insert its poles. Now, I want to stop right there, and then I'm, I'm going to kind of go through a lot of the passage. What we're going to see in this passage is reiterated this type of phraseology, the service of so-and-so and what they're doing. And there is repetition, but I, I was really reminded in reading this of how... The repetition just shows the precision and the value that the Lord is going to place on all of this service. 
This is a lot of the behind the scenes stuff. It's caring for these instruments that are used, the, the bowls and the dishes and the, the scoops, the, the things being used for scooping out the ashes and, and taking care of like baking the bread and, and making the incense and these different things that had to go on in addition to literally sacrificing the animals and, and dealing with the, the leftovers of what happens when you deal with those animals and all the ashes and things that you're dealing with. These were important functions. And since the tabernacle was the movable temple, if you will, the uh, Levites were not only responsible to perform the service alongside in like an associate minister role alongside the uh, priest, which I think that's kind of interesting because you, you kind of see like a senior pastor role or a, a teaching pastor, or maybe you have a couple pastors that do the teaching in a local church, and then you have associate pastors in, in larger churches, for example, that may... Um, be like doing worship and then a lot of administrative stuff behind the scenes or an executive pastor or administrative pastor or whatever title they have. The interesting thing is all of those administrative functions are associate minister roles, uh, just as there's associates here. So that concept that we see in church today is not new. It's all the way back in the Old Testament. And I think that's really cool to see. But we're going to see that these guys are not only doing the practical administrative things, they're, they're literally going to be covering up and, and, and preparing for um, packaging, if you will, of these different pieces of the tabernacle and the, the instruments to do the ministry of, of the sacrifices and such. They're going to be taking care of those things and literally carrying them because they're in the desert. They're traveling around the wilderness. This is the movable temple, if you will, the tabernacle of meeting. There's pieces of the tent itself, the structure itself they have to carry. And they're going to be assigned these duties. So we're going to see that there are uh, going to be these three different clans, if you will, within uh, the, the tribe of Levi. And each of these clans, these families, uh, these lineages, um, excuse me, these people underneath this particular family... Uh, clan are going to perform certain duties. So there's a there's a division of responsibility here that they are entrusted with. So let's continue on uh, in verse 4. This is the service of the sons of Kohath in the tabernacle of meeting relating to the most holy things. When the camp prepares to journey, Aaron and his sons shall come, and they shall take down the covering veil that cover and cover the ark of the testimony with it. They shall put on it a covering of badger skins and spread over it a covering of badger skins and spread over that a cloth entirely of blue, and they shall insert its poles. On the table of showbread they shall spread a blue cloth and put on it the dishes, the pans, the bowls, the pitchers for pouring, and the showbread shall be on it. And they shall spread over them a scarlet cloth and cover the same with a covering of badger skins, and they shall insert its poles. And they shall take a blue cloth and cover the lampstand of the light with its lamps, its wick trimmers, its trays, and all its oil vessels with which they service it. Then they shall put it with all the utensils and a covering of badger skins and put them on a carrying beam. So notice the care and the packaging that's taking place. And also notice this is ornate packaging. There, there's scarlet. There's blue. I think we're going to see purple. Uh, I don't think we've seen that yet. We're going to see that as we go on. Badger skins. These are important coverings. This is not just stick it in a burlap sack, throw it over your back, and head down the road. No, you're, you're taking care, and, and you're showing honor and, and, and respect and um, reverence, even if you will, for these instruments that are used in the service of God. Now, they weren't idolizing the particular objects, but they were showing care and, and, and carefulness 
in how they um, were using these things and caring for them. So that's very interesting, their stewardship there. And they put it on a carrying beam. So there's a method in which they carried it. Let's continue on to verse 11. And over the golden altar they shall spread a blue cloth and cover it with a covering of badger skins. They shall um, insert its poles. Then they shall take all the utensils of the service with which they minister in the sanctuary, put them in a blue cloth, cloth cover them with a covering of badger skins, and put them on a carrying beam. Also they shall take away the ashes from the altar and spread a purple cloth over it. They shall put on it all of its implements with which they minister there, the fire pans, the forks, the shovels, the basins, and all the utensils of the altar, and they shall spread on it a covering of the badger skins and insert its poles. And when Aaron and his sons had finished covering the sanctuary and all the furnishings of the sanctuary, when the camp is set to go, then the sons of Kohath shall come and carry them, but they shall not touch any holy thing lest they die. Now that's going to be important um, as we go on. Um, it's going to be important throughout Israel's history that they don't touch particular things because of the holiness and the reverence that is to be um, regarded in regard to those particular things. It's it's holy things in which only a perfect, uh, purified, or consecrated vessel can touch. Now, no human being was perfect. The priests are going to have to go through lots of purification, consecration, get ready to, to do these ministries. And all of that points to the absolute need for purity that we as human beings can never have. Even those serving as priests could not stay in, in a in a consecrated way. Only the Lord Jesus Christ can. And so all of this is going to remind us of the importance of the holy things, the need for a mediator of the covenant, somebody to go on our behalf because we're imperfect and we're unclean and we're, we can't live the right way. And we even do things inadvertently that are sinful, not, not even knowingly, like volitionally we chose to sin. There's things we even do without even thinking about it that are sinful. And we need someone to go on our behalf who is perfect and pure to the utmost and never sins. He is completely perfect, and that is Jesus Christ. He goes on our behalf. All this is being prepared beforehand in the picture of the shadows, of the foreshadowing of what all this service and instruments and all these things point to. It ultimately all points to Christ. It goes on to say, these are the things in the tabernacle of meeting which the sons of Kohath are to carry. The appointed duty of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, is for the oil for the light, the sweet incense, the daily grain offering, the anointing oil, the oversight of all the tabernacle, of all that is in it, with the sanctuary and its furnishings. So th this is not just the carrying, but you know the things that they need. This is the goods, if you will. They, they need oil. They need the incense. They need these things in order to do the ministry. So they have to have a supply. They have to keep up on it. They have to oversee that it's being taken care of. Um, Eleazar specifically here is, is over making sure that that work is being rendered. It goes on to say in verse 17, Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, Do not cut off the tribe of the families of the Kohathites from among the Levites, but do this in regard to them that they may live and not die when they approach the most holy things. Aaron and his sons shall go in and appoint each of them to, the, to his service and his task. So it's specific, each to their individual, his service, his task. Verse 20, But they shall not go in to watch while the holy things are being covered, lest they die. That's an interesting thing. 
verse 21. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Also take a census of the sons of Gershon by their father's house, by their families, from 30 years old and above, even to 50 years old. You shall number them, all who enter to perform the service, to do the work of the tabernacle of meeting. This is the service of the families of the Gershonites in serving and carrying. They shall carry the curtains of the tabernacle of meeting with its covering, the coverings of the badger skins is on it, the screen for the door of the tabernacle meeting, the screen for the door of the gate, the hangings, flip the page here, uh, the hangings of the court which are around the tabernacle and the altar and their cords and all the furnishings for the service and all that is made for these things, so shall they serve. Aaron and his sons shall assign all the service of the sons of the Gershonites, all their tasks and all their service, and you shall appoint to them the tasks as their duty. This is the service of the families of the sons of Gershon of the tabernacle of meeting, and their duties shall be under the authority of Ithamar, the son of Aaron the priest. As for the sons of Merari, you shall number them by their families, by their father's house, from thirty years old and above, even to fifty years old. You shall number them, everyone who enters the service, to do the work of the tabernacle of meeting. This is what they must carry as all their service for the tabernacle of meeting, the boards of the tabernacle, its bars, its pillars, its sockets, and the pillars around the court, with their sockets, pegs, and cords, with all the furnishings and all their service, you shall assign to each man by name. So, so there is some type of list here. Each man in this service is important. Each of them had a name. And so what were they assigned? You shall assign to each man by name, the items he must carry. Particular responsibility here. Every single person mattered. Reminds me of how in the New Testament it speaks about how we are all members of one body. Every single member is a member of the body and has a role to play. A body without a leg is going to limp. A body without an eye is going to suffer some eyesight. A body without an organ is going to maybe live, but it's not going to live to its its fullest, best way, right? Every single one of us has a role to play in the body of Christ if we are believers. It goes on to say, um, This is the service of the families of the sons of Merari, as all their service for the tabernacle of meeting, under the authority of Ithamar, the son of Aaron the priest. Verse 34. And Moses, Aaron, and the leaders of the congregation numbered the sons of the Kohathites by their families and by their father's house from 30 years old and above, even to 50 years old. Everyone who entered the service for the work in the tabernacle of meeting, and those who were numbered by their families were 2,750. Those, excuse me, these were the ones who were numbered of all the families of the Kohathites, all who might serve in the tabernacle of meeting, whom Moses and Aaron numbered according to the commandment of the Lord by the hand of Moses. And this numbering is the census they're taking. Verse 38, And those who were numbered of the sons of Gershon by their families, by their father's house, from 30 years old and above, even to 50 years old, everyone who entered the service for the work in the tabernacle of meeting, those who were numbered by their families, by their father's house, were 2,000, Six hundred and thirty. These are the ones who were numbered of the families of the sons of Gershon, of all who might serve in the tabernacle of meeting, from whom Moses and Aaron numbered according to the commandment of the Lord. Those of the families of the sons of Merari, who were numbered by their families by their father's house from thirty years old and above, even to fifty years old, everyone who entered the service for the work in the tabernacle of meeting, those who were numbered by their families were 3,200. These are the ones who were numbered 
of the families of the sons of Merari, whom Moses and Aaron numbered according to the word of the Lord by the hand of Moses. All who were numbered of the Levites, by whom Moses, Aaron, and the leaders of Israel numbered, by their families, by their father's household, from 30 years old and above, even to 50 years old, everyone who came to do the work of the service and the work of bearing burdens in the tabernacle of meeting, those who were numbered were 8,580. According to the commandment of the Lord, they were numbered by the hand of Moses, each according to his service and according to his task. Thus they were numbered by him as the Lord commanded Moses. Again, this is all by the Lord's command, by the Lord's will, not anybody else's. And we notice there that the three different tribes have their particular, not tribes, pardon me, clans, of the tribe of Levi have their particular number of men in service. And the total number is 8,580. So let me get out my phone here. And I want to do a few rough calculations here on my phone. Because this is just something that interests me. Not saying there's any hidden meaning. There's no hidden meaning to this. We don't know exactly how many people are, are in Israel. But uh, we've seen previously that there's like 600,000 fighting men, uh, give or take, in Israel. And the exact number is mentioned. But I'm just doing this off the top of my head to get a rough estimate here. So I'm just going to assume roughly there's half a million men, 500,000, right? And let's assume that each one of those guys is married. So there's a, a woman, that's a million people. And let's assume each of them have two kids. Now, there could be bigger families, some could be single. We're just going to do a rough estimation here. So that would be 2 million people, right? So let's take the 8,580 guys that are actually serving in the tabernacle. There's other guys that are younger than 30, other guys presumably older than 30, that, that aren't numbered in this, but these are the guys serving in the tabernacle meeting, and we're going to assume there's 2 million people in Israel at this time. That's 0.00429. So if we multiply that by you know 100, that's less than half a percent of the population is actually serving. I think that's interesting because this is less than half a percent we're actually in vocational service, if you will. And I just think that's kind of interesting to reflect upon um, to me as I was looking at this. Again, not that there's any hidden meaning in it. It's just an interesting observation. You know, majority of God's people were called to simply be faithful believers. I think it was Oswald Chambers who said, I, I saw a quote recently, I think it was by him, may not have been, but I think it was him who said that the Lord has called most of us to live radically normal Christian lives. Lives in relative obscurity by the world's eyes. Not fame, not on the platform, not doing service that other people somewhat know about. Like, oh, the, these guys may not have been the priest, but these Levites, you work at the tabernacle. You know, th there may be almost some prestige associated with that. You know, we, we may kind of think that, about, oh, you're a pastor, or oh, you work at a church, or oh, you, you work at a, as a missionary, or at a missions agency, or a Christian school, or a seminary, or something. And, uh, you know, the vast majority of Christians were never called to that. And, and I am just reminded of the humility of service in this passage. That's an application for me. I, I'm convicted about it, too, to notice the fact that it was only the guys 30 to 50. This is interesting, because... And I'm not going to dive into all of it, but maybe you're a pastor or maybe you're not a pastor, but this is a particular way you can pray for pastors. Uh, there's a lot of psychology stuff written on it. 
who knows how much is true, but um, a lot of pastors do derive a lot of their identity from their ministry. They, they're so involved in pouring themselves out for the church and, and, and ministry, and many of them serve a very long time. Um, but it's, it's interesting here that in the Levitical priest, uh, well, not the Levitical priesthood, pardon me, the Levitical service here, that these Levites would only serve from 30 to 50. They had a 20-year, if you will, quote-unquote, vocational ministry. But they still were called to be godly Christian men. They, they were called to lead their families. They were called to be godly men outside of their, quote-unquote, vocation. It only lasted a certain time. I, I just find that interesting. And, and I, I just kind of uh, think about that today. How do we apply that as, as pastors and ministers? Um, it's, it's just interesting to me. So let's close out in prayer today. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for uh, just the opportunity to walk through this and, and to be convicted myself, Father, of um, of just the importance of ministry. And, and Father, I pray, help me, because there are those times that I can be like that statistic and I can find too much of my identity in the work of ministry that you've called me to rather than my identity in Christ. And perhaps there's someone listening today that is a pastor and sees that too. Or maybe, Father, there's another fellow brother or sister that are not serving in uh, some type of vocational or avocational capacity in, in, in the church. But they can pray for their pastor specifically that way and encourage them that, you know, it matters that these men that have been called to, to serve as pastors, they're also called to be the godly fathers and godly men in their, their homes they're called to just be godly men that walk with you fundamentally, most importantly. Father, just renew that vision. and I thank you for your word, Father. I thank you for the precision of the language in this chapter, of how important each and every person's job was. Each person, each man here had a job to do. Father, I thank you for that. I thank you for that reminder. Um, Father, I thank you for the care in which they were to exercise stewardship and they were to do the work that you would assign them well. Father, I pray that we would all hear, well done, good and faithful servant, as we simply perform in obedience and humility and, and true Christ-like service, the, the ministry, the service that you have allotted to us, Father, that you have called us to. And however that looks, help us to be humble and Christ-like and faithful. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast. There's no pressure, but if you would like to show support for the program and the other work uh, that Focusing on the Mark Ministries does, you can do so by going to patreon.com forward slash gen1 to rev22, and you can become a patron on there. There's also some other creative ways in which you can show your support uh, by going to gen1torev22.com. You can find the support tab there and find some different creative ways, uh, the current listing of, of ways to show support. And also, if there is a resource that would be a benefit to you, there are some books available, and you again can find that under the book tab on the website. God bless you, and look forward to studying God's Word with you next time.